0: Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, a chaplain, a professor, and a writer and speaker, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and we're back after a two week summer break and we're continuing our series on the seven deadly sins. So Aaron, we've been picking away at these seven deadly sins through the podcast, but it's been a while since we did the last one. So can you take our listeners through what the seven deadly sins as they are called are and bring us back into this series?
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, yeah, first of all, welcome welcome back to our listeners. I'm sure you've missed us and been chewing on your fingernails just waiting for the next episode to come out, or at least that's what Chris and I are hoping. I, I've been waiting. <laughs> <laughs> you probably forgot we even were doing this, <laughs> but it is good to be back. Susie and I were able to do a little bit of camping with our kids in, um, in, in July, and then um, we also... Uh, did a little bit of work around the property. In fact, just before we get into this, we had a crazy experience, which you're well aware of. We're towing our camper trailer down the highway and the trailer base, trailer tire basically exploded. Like I'm not talking about just lost its air, it, it exploded. And for some crazy reason, I always bring my jack and my, my tire sock and I didn't have them with me. I had to drop the trailer on the side of a 100 kilometer an hour road, drive to the hardware store to get some equipment. The force of the winds of cars driving by was almost pushing our camper into the ditch when I got back. So we had a real challenge getting it hooked back up, got the tire off, couldn't jack the vehicle up high enough to get the new tire on. So I called the only man, the manliest man I know, christopher eelman and he came out and rescued us and we continued on our merry way but (laughs) a one and a half hour trip to the campground turned into a six hour and 15 minute trip (laughs) to the campground so it was uh it was an interesting uh aspect of our our little vacation but thank you for helping us chris no problem and don't buy what brand of tire was it uh it's called castle rock apparently they're called chinese bombs if you have them on your rv or your camper trailer, immediately go out and buy <laughs> something else. I'm, I'm switching mine out, man. Anyway, that was a little update in our summer. So in previous episodes, we've covered sloth, gluttony, pride, and lust. And we still have to cover off greed, envy, and wrath. I'm gonna touch down on greed. So our subject today is greed. But why these are called deadly sins is because they often are hidden in our lives. The reason why they're hidden is because each of these sins, which is a vice, has a virtue as its counterpart. So it can easily masquerade. So for example, lust masquerades as love. Or sloth masquerades as rest. I mean, after all, the Bible says we should keep the Sabbath. The Bible says we should rest. So I'm just going to rest seven days a week, right? I'm not going to do any work. A gluttony can masquerade as the biblical command to whatever you eat whatever you drink do it as unto the lord of course food and drink is not in and of itself innately wrong or even pride pride can masquerade as self-worth or the belief you know i'm made in the image likeness of god of course i'm valuable so they can be very deadly because they're not always obvious to others we can hide them in our lives and that's why they're deadly so they don't take us up They take us down and we want to discuss and help people think through the deadly sin of greed. So this is our fifth. There's no particular order of importance, but this is our fifth one. I think it would be helpful for our listeners to do a little introspection, a little bit of soul searching. As you think about your own life, so you're listening to my voice. You're going to be processing some practical thoughts some theological thoughts. We're going to read some scripture together. But how about we do a little bit of introspection, and I thought it would be helpful to begin with some introspective questions. I want to pose a series of questions just to get us thinking about whether or not this sin might actually be present in our own lives and souls. How about a question like, am I generally dissatisfied with what I have? So we each have possessions, some have A lot of possessions compared to others. Some have few possessions, but we all have possessions. Just ask yourself, am I generally satisfied or dissatisfied with what I have? Here's another one. When I get or buy something, does the thrill wear off once it's mine? You know, I've noticed this in my own life at times. I'm excited to buy something, I'm researching a tool or a piece of equipment. I get it and I use it for whatever purpose, but then it sits in my barn or my garage or whatever and I walk by it and it doesn't have the same holding power or value over me once I own it compared to when it was sitting on the store shelf or in the, the lobby, you know, with a price tag on it. And this says something about some challenges that may be going on in our soul in terms of what we truly value. Another question would be, do I find myself wanting what others own? I always mean, looking over the neighbor's proverbial fence to see what they own do i struggle to give away that which i truly value i I think most people are giving when it comes to their leftovers you know people like to have the garage sales pull all the garbage out of the uh the, the the garage and 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 throw it out in the front lawn and try to make a few bucks off of it but are are we actually generous with the things that we uh actually value? Like, would we be willing to lend out a vehicle, an expensive tool? Would we be able to allow a guest to use our home when we're away? Are we generous or do we tend to hold a little too tightly to our material possessions? Do I resent wealthy people? There's a lot of trash talking that takes place. It's, it's discriminatory in many respects, but it's this assumption that if you're a rich person, you must be bad. And I find that a sad thing. I'm not a rich person, but I suppose compared to many people in the world, I'm very wealthy. You know, many people in the world live paycheck to paycheck, meal to meal. And compared to others, I may be wealthy. They may think of me as a bad person, but then there are people with millions of dollars in assets or cash. And is there a temptation to to, to label people that have money as wealthy? There might be some jealousy or some covetousness underlying that. Assumption. Or how about this? Do I gravitate towards wealthy people? Do I like to be seen at functions and events and around? Wealthy people wanting to benefit from their possessions, you know, people in ministry need to be careful about this as well, because I've seen this where pastors deliberately go out of their way to befriend or presidents of college, Christian colleges go out of their way to befriend wealthy people and rich people because they know there's a benefit to it. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, pay very little attention to people in lower Income brackets. I think this is a problem. Am I clenched fisted or open handed? This is a and mental illustration. I, I like to use. If you hold your hand out in front of you in sort of a cupped position, you have the capacity to put things in it. I'll, I'll put my pen in it right now. My pen is in it. But at any point in time, if my hand is in a cup position and you wanted to take my pen from me, of course, you could just reach across the table and do that. But it'd be a little more difficult if I clench my fist around that pen. Now now you kind of got to wrestle it away from me. And I think stewardship differs from ownership in that the steward learns to hold the possessions, realizing that God is ultimately the owner of. But they do not make the mistake of ever closing their fingers around it and believing that it's actually theirs. So do we have a closed-fisted mindset about our possessions or do we have a cupped-handed stewardship mindset about Mm. our possessions? And then maybe a final question. Again, this is just all to stimulate thought and get people thinking about their own desires. Let's talk about shopping. Now, I'm not... I'm not a real fan of shopping in the traditional sense of wandering around a mall looking for stuff to buy. I I shy away from that as much as possible. I do not enjoy being in grocery stores. My wife is very competent in that area and I I think enjoys it. She's never said otherwise. So she does the grocery shopping. I just don't have an interest in wandering around grocery stores. There are a few stores, admittedly, that I do enjoy going into. Uh, one of them, if you're a Canadian, you might know of a store by the name of Princess Auto. I see that you like that store as well. <laughs> totally. yeah. That was and first um, one on my mind for those in other jurisdictions, uh, Princess Auto is basically my wife would call it a junk store, but it's a it's, it, it's a store that has. Um, drill bits, tractor parts, hydraulics, farming equipment, hand tools, tires, batteries, ropes and and, um, cabling and uh, gear straps and all that kind of stuff. I love going in there. (laughs) I absolutely love it. It's sort of discount like some of it is admittedly junky. You want to be careful what you buy my wife funny story several years ago i was telling her oh princess auto opened up in our town and i was going there and getting stuff and she'd heard about princess auto over and over again and it almost has like a girly name to it right so you assume that girls would like to go there and she goes in there and she comes out and she says i gotta tell you that is the most boring (laughs) store i've ever been in in my life and she's like (laughs) emphasizing it how horrifying this place was and I'm like what on earth this is awesome this is like a foretaste of heaven <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. so, so there's a, obviously a, a distinct difference in our tastes and our interest but apart from that I, I don't personally like shopping that much but many people I've noticed will go to a store and they actually have no plan like there's nothing they they need to buy it's not like i'm going going for clothing or i'm going for a tool that they don't they have no plan they just they just want to go and spend money and how strange is that to literally just you don't need it you, you don't even want it until you see it but you just have to offload your money and that might be symptomatic of some greed or covetousness going on. So I, I i think that uh if if any of these questions sort of get you feeling a little convicted or even a little angry <laughs> because you've been asked them or you feel like you're being confronted, it just might might be and and i don't know, but it might be that you're struggling with the deadly sin of greed. Hmm. And so hopefully this podcast will be of benefit to you and making the necessary correctives in your life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we know the Bible has a ton to say about greed. Yeah. Um, maybe you could do us a favor and touch down on
1: some of the, the most notable examples from scripture. Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to define greed and then I'll, I'll mention a few critical passages. And, and like you said, Chris, you're right there. There are many, but greed let's just begin by by acknowledging this, that there is nothing innately wrong with wanting material possessions with food, with wanting relationships. Now, the exception to that would be if those material possessions are innately destructive, right? So wanting your neighbor's wife or wanting illicit drugs or whatnot. But wanting tools wanting clothing wanting a home wanting a car wanting a t-bone steak wanting to be married wanting a wife wanting a husband there's nothing innately wrong with material possessions and i think we have to be careful about this because many of us think that the bible teaches us that money is the root of all kinds of evil but really the 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 love of money is the root of all kinds Mm -hmm. of evil and material possessions into themselves were given to us by God. They didn't evolve. They didn't just happen. In fact, enjoying the things of this material world might for some, and I would say it's probably a small few, but failing to enjoy the material things of this world might be a problem for some. You might not be enjoying the material world enough. You might be so... As we say heavenly minded you're of no material value you might have a dualism in your mind in your worldview that says that only that which is immaterial is good you might think the body's bad sex is bad money's bad food is bad drink is bad everything's bad this is not symptomatic of a proper understanding of of scripture you know ecclesiastes 9 7 says, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. That's a very interesting statement. Now, I I know, I know Ecclesiastes fairly well, maybe better than some of the wisdom books in the Bible. And I do know that the whole book is qualified with that under the sun perspective, that there's there's some ironies there. And there's a there's a sense in which the writer is often saying, okay, you know, go pursue the things of his life and see how it works out for you, because I can tell you it won't work out for you. So I understand that there's a there's a bit of a denouncing of attachment to the material world and a call to set our eyes on heavenly things. But in this particular verse, after it talks about going eating your bread with joy and drinking your wine with a merry heart, it actually says, for God has already approved what you do. So God is not opposed to you having a nice glass of wine. God is not opposed to having a nice steak and potato dinner or, you know, if you're of a different generation or ilk than mine, whatever it might be, a vegan burger or something like that, if that floats your boat. But the the temptation is to fall in love with these things. But uh, again, I wanna emphasize that material things aren't in and of themselves bad. Even in the famous Song of Songs, which is this incredible expose of a, a, a two lovers pursuing one another and, the, and the, the community, the others, as they're called in the book, chiming in and affirming that love. This very erotic, very s- sexual book that displays the benefits and values of creational sex. Um, In chapter five, verse one, it says, eat the others in the text as you're speaking to the lover and the one that he loves say, you know, eat friends, drink and be drunk with love. Again, eating, drinking, human sexuality. We have to get it out of our mind that these, that these are somehow innately bad. Yes 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 they are all infected and corrupted by sin to a certain degree and so we have to be careful that our view of love is actually creational and biblical in nature that eating and drinking doesn't become abusive where we we become big fat slobs or we're drunks and we're saying well the lord says eat and drink as unto the lord and i'm a fat slob as unto jesus or i'm a drunk as unto jesus no these are gluttony and drunkenness are for all of times in all cultures and all in all generations and at all in in every single environment we find ourselves in sins that needs to need to be denounced and dealt with. Even in the uh, beautiful apocalyptic description of creation re- being restored in, in the in the end in Revelation 19, we we see there the marriage supper of the lamb it's not the marriage worship service of the lamb it's not the worship the marriage prayer meeting of the lamb it's portrayed as a meal that this picture of a banquet and food a a heavenly wedding as the bride and groom are fully united in the eternal order of things is beautiful so that which we chris that which we taste touch and feel are given to us by god and they're not to be substituted just for ethereal experiences in heaven but we need to understand that god god created us put us in in eden in a physical tangible touchable tasteable smellable feelable environment and even though the whole world has been corrupted by sin that which is tasteable touchable feelable smellable hearable is not innately in and of itself evil and that which we cannot see taste touch smells somehow good mm-hmm. there's there's i mean even in the in the immaterial world there's bad there's devils demons you know there's there's uh, satan himself and so I want I want to emphasize that. I don't want people going away thinking, you know what, the solution to a, a spiritually elevated life is just to denounce the material world. I, I remember years ago, there was a fellow that showed up at our church just for one Sunday, and he was talking to me. He was very f- a forceful personality. He, he stunk. He hadn't had a bath for a while, evidently. He was very disheveled looking. I can't remember. He started prophesying or blabbing on about something or another. And then during the week, he actually walked to my office, I had an office in a different church at the time. And he walked there and he showed up. And again, he was equally disheveled and he stunk. And he, he was just this guy I discovered that walked around Canada rebuking people for owning anything and he basically said if we want to be like jesus we have to go back to the book of acts we have to sell all our possessions and give everything away and he was like rebuking me and, and now i found out quickly he was actually a heretic he was a gospels i guess he included the book of acts because he quoted it, mm. but he was a gospels only guy he, he actually said to me paul is the greatest heretic in the history of the church mm. his writing shouldn't be in the canon of scripture so that didn't go very well, obviously, with me. But this is a guy who who in in my way of thinking as I understood him in those two brief interchanges had this almost Gnostic viewpoint that anything you can taste, touch, hear, smell, or feel mm-hmm. is bad. And I don't believe that for a minute. Yep. Okay. So all of that is my preamble to your question. Yeah. And your question is, what does the Bible say about it? Well, in terms of a definition, the way I think about this, as I've studied scripture and just molded it over, is greed is not about liking material things. It's not like, well, I like material things, so I'm greedy. No, 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 that's not true. But greed could be defined as a disproportionate, that's a key word, a disproportionate desire for money, for power for possessions you're like well how do i know if i have that hmm. well you you you, you kind of know when it plays with your emotions when you fixate on it when it's the first thing you think about in the morning when it's a dominant part of your thought life w- when you are jealous when you don't have what someone else has when it hmm. bothers you when you pursue it at the cost of balance when you when you have no time left over for spiritual disciplines. When, if it's taken away from you, you're absolutely furious when you idolize it. So, in other words, it's when you have a disproportionate fixation of material things. Another biblical word for greed is simply covetousness. So, the most famous example, obviously, that prohibits greed is the 10th commandment. You know, the, the 10th commandment says you shall not covet your neighbor's house. So that's a, a material possession. And I know the housing market's pretty bad right now. And a lot of people really want a house. There's nothing wrong with wanting a house, saving up for a house. I want a house. I want to start a family. I want a place to raise my kids. I don't want to rent from someone all my life. There's nothing wrong with that. If that's a desire. But coveting your neighbor's house, being upset because they got the house and you, you didn't. Uh, idolizing your house, wanting the... You know, the, the, the fairy tale storybook. Um, what's the name of that famous woman that does um, house decorations and- Oh, Joanna Gaines, is that I it? Don't, no. I don't know. I don't know. I, I figured you'd know, because you're into <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm thinking about the minimalist that thing right like now. Test, <laughs> oh, That was actually like a test, That was a <laughs> test. I failed. <laughs> so, you know, the women with the, you know, spend too much money on their hair that have um, shows yeah. where the house- <laughs> Right now, I'm getting a lot of eyes rolled at me on the Great. other end of the microphone from my female <laughs> listeners. When you kind of when you're when you fixate on your house, like it has to be perfect, like everything has to be perfect. When people come over, uh, the first thing I want to hear is, "Oh, I love what you've done with the place." Okay, that that is a problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a problem when you fixate on those things. But the Bible says when you covet your neighbor's house, when you covet your neighbor's wife. So greed and covetousness extends beyond material possessions to other people's spouses. Oh, I wish he was my husband, he's far more understanding. Oh, I wish that was my wife, you know, she's far more whatever, beautiful, sympathetic, um, helpful, whatever it might be, right? Or his male servant or his female servant. Now probably not very many of us have servants and I hope none of us have slaves, but in that context in um, the Middle East, that would have been common. Um, Maybe a modern example would be, well, you know, they got all kinds of help from their family, raising the kids or, you know, Mm -hmm. they're able to hire people to cut their grass or hire people to tend to the house or whatever it might be. By the way, if you, if you have a house that's so big that you can't clean it yourself And you're able-bodied, just something to think about. I'm not going to judge you. I don't even know who does this. I don't really care. But you might have too much, you might have too many possessions. If you have a property that's overgrown because you don't have time to manage it, if you have so many cars you never get washed and the oil never gets changed, maybe you need to downsize a little bit. In other words, there is a certain sense in which what we own has to be also tied to our ability to manage it. And some people buy so much they can't manage it. They become hoarders or their house looks um, like a complete dive because they just don't have time to repair it. Um, So that's just some wisdom there to think about Hmm. or his ox or his donkey or anything else that is your neighbor. So this is a problem for me, right? Because an ox is a um, steer, a cow, uh, uh, sorry, a, a bull that's been neutered who's then trained to plow the field. And, you know, because I have a few cattle of my own, you know, on occasion, I may covet my neighbor's ox. Not really, but (laughs) um, some of these things have to be translated into the modern context. So if you don't own oxen. It's their pickup. Yeah, it's their pickup, right? By the way, why do some people own big pickup trucks and never use the bed? So
0: <laughs> so what you're saying is you should give it to somebody who would like It's yes. like
1: <laughs> Chris or Aaron would love for you to drop your pickup trucks. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's, you know if you actually start to think about the society we live in, this is a bit of an, uh, a bunny trail, you think about the society we live in and how many of the things we purchase we don't actually use. So mm-hmm. I know pickup trucks are in style. And maybe they're a bit of a pushback to the EV movement. Maybe they're just they're just cool, they're big. Maybe you think, okay, they'll keep me safer in the snow. But if you step back and look at it objectively, it is a little bit weird to own a truck that's designed for hauling things around but never to put anything in the back. It's just that the bed literally is there for show. It's just a little bit weird, right? It's like buying a trailer and just leaving it in your backfield or something. Um, so maybe maybe we need to, maybe another little test for us to do with regard to our um, material possessions is, are there things that we're paying for or have purchased that we actually, we we don't even use them? So it's it, this is even beyond like need versus want. This is just, I don't even use it. Mm-hmm. And it's sitting in my garage or it's parked in the driveway and it doesn't get used or It doesn't get enough use to justify it's me owning it. So for example, if, I'll just use this example, you go out and buy a utility trailer, but you only use it once every two years, why not sell it and borrow a Buddy's if you're only gonna use it every two years? If you buy a 80,000 or probably $100,000 now pickup truck and you, you never haul two by fours, you never put anything in the back, wouldn't it be more reasonable to maybe buy a passenger vehicle that's a little bit smaller? You know, just some things for people to to think mm-hmm. about. But that's a famous passage. Now I wanna I want to do a little quick word study. So if you notice in Exodus 2017, which is what I quoted from, because there's there's two places where the decalogue is listed. But in Exodus 2017, uh it says, You shall not covet. So The word here is desire and the Hebrew word is tamad. Now I thought, I want to kind of do a little word study. So I went to my Hebrew lexicons because the word desire in and of itself could be good or bad. So Mm -hmm. what kind of desire are we talking about here? So desire we know is not innately sinful as we've already mentioned earlier. To desire a wife, to desire food and shelter, it's not innately sinful. So, desire is not the problem. But the Hebrew lexicons help us to see that this kind of desire is what they call inordinate, selfish, or ungoverned in nature. Let me use those words again. They're inordinate, selfish, or ungoverned in nature. So, if you have a desire for something you don't own or you even fixate on something you've recently purchased and it's, it's inordinate. It's, it's unusual. It's disproportionate is the word I used earlier. It is self oriented. It, it serves you and only you. It, it seems ungoverned. Like it almost seems to be controlling you rather than you controlling it. It's like your car. You're supposed to control your car to go from point A to B. But if it's like controlling you, it's like fixates on you. Fixate on it. Like you're, you're terrified when there's the slightest scratch or bit of dirt on it. And we've all probably had the experience where we buy a new vehicle or a new object and or a new shirt or whatever, and suddenly there's a stain on it, yep. or it gets shredded in the caught in the dryer, or someone scratches a car, bumps the door. It's like ah, and after a while, you're just like, I'm just gonna assume that's gonna happen. And it just doesn't rattle your cage as much. But there's some people, they're so angry if there's a little dent in their car. Well, it's a metal object. It's out in parking lots and it's out exposed to trees and hail and wind and stones in the road. Like, how about change your mindset? Like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Everything in this world rusts, breaks, falls apart, goes into the landfill eventually. You're going to own it for a limited period of time, and then it's gone. Like, don't hold things so tightly. So this, this, is, this kind of desire is even of an idolatrous nature. I would say that's the critical text. Hebrews 20, 17, part of the Decalogue, the 10th commandment. Do not covet. Do not be greedy. Do not have this inordinate, selfish, ungoverned fixation on things, on stuff, on other people. And then Proverbs 119 is a great place to go to because it's another wisdom book. We mentioned Ecclesiastes earlier. Proverbs 119 ties greed to unjust gain. So there's, there's just gain. So I work eight hours. I get paid X number of dollars. I, I, I have a verbal or written contract with a person to do job A, and as a result, I receive B, whatever the financial pay is determined to be. That's just. So unjust gain is where you're ripping people off, where it's like you're resorting to unethical means. Anything you can do to get ahead. I used to have a friend. He's since abandoned the Christian faith and his marriage fell apart. Great businessman, but there was always something sleazy or slimy about his deals. He, he described things to me. It was like a shell game. It was so convoluted and confusing. I, I I have a pretty good business mind, but I couldn't even figure out half the time what he was up to. But over time, I determined it's greed. It's covetousness. Mm-hmm. This is his idol. And he never pulled that idol off the, man, idol off the mantle of his life and threw it in the garbage can, and it overcame him. And he he's he, he, still alive, to the best of my knowledge, but he essentially lost his life seeking to gain it. He lost his marriage, his family, his reputation. He's He's a fool. His reputation now is is completely tarnished. So if, if you resort to all means necessary in order to attain something, uh, that should trigger some soul searching in you. Mm-hmm. And then a third example I'll give, maybe, maybe one of the most famous from the gospels is the rich young ruler. Yep. And what's interesting if you study the, the interchange between Christ and the rich young ruler who forfeited his soul, so to speak to re- to To retain his physical possessions, is Jesus says to him, you know, hey, will, will you will you do this, this, and this? He's like, well, yeah, I'll I'll obey all the commandments. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll do this. I'll I, I'm all in. But when Jesus n- knows that his his Achilles heel, so to speak, his his blind spot, his his idol is physical possessions, he says, okay, well then, sell all you have, and that was too much for him, mm-hmm. and he walks away from christ now that narrative is not intended to say oh the means of salvation is through physical the the sale of your physical assets or this is some sort of a works orientation gospel but jesus is testing him see while we're not saved by works you cannot worship the true and living god and any other god and so when jesus challenges him to sell all he has and give it to the poor. What he's actually doing is asking him to denounce his current God, mm-hmm. which is material things, and worship the true and living God. And he wasn't prepared to do that. So again, it's not a works oriented gospel. It's about which God are you going to serve. And God is not a polygamist. He will not share us with anyone else. God is not a polygamist. He will not share his people, his bride. With anyone else. He will not do it. Mm-hmm. So, those are some famous passages. And it's a sad, it's really a, a, a sad uh, story in the gospel. So, at the end of the day, a disproportionate desire for material things, and especially those you don't already own, that's greed. And again, I just want to come back to this point. Isn't it interesting so often in life? That once you actually hold something in your hand that you've wanted for a long, long time, that the desire for it tends to very quickly subside. Mm -hmm. You know, how many people, I want to be married. Oh, I just desperately want a husband or wife. Oh, I'm just, oh, that's... Girls dreaming about their wedding, planning it, spending thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on it. Guys desperate for that girl. And a year or two or three years later in the divorce courts, it just lost its luster. Mm-hmm. They're, it, does, it doesn't, they're, they don't value it. Um, you, you buy the latest iPhone, oh, whatever it is right now, the iPhone 14, I think. Could be wrong. Don't send me emails. I really don't care. <laughs> but you know, the iPhone 14. Oh, well, I remember, I remember when I got an iPhone three, someone actually gave it to me. I didn't even know what an iPhone was. I am like, oh the okay, iPhone three. And, and then suddenly someone's got the iPhone five and you start looking, well, why do I got the iPhone three? But when I had the iPhone three, it was like state of the art. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like the, as soon as you drive the new car out of the, um, the dealership lot, suddenly there's a new model that shows up. That's better and faster and more fuel efficient and has more options than you, than the one you have. And you're like, Oh, this is human nature. You you buy a house. I remember when we bought our first house, we, I told my kids this, we paid $98,000 for it. We had to save up like f- five grand or something like that for our down payment and two grand for legals. They're like, oh, I wish I could do that today. Dude, when I when I got that house, I was just enthralled with it. Like, I, oh, this, I own a house. Wow. Now I drive by and I'm like, oh, it was pretty... Um, pretty basic house but at the time it's so awesome and that's human nature when we have it when it's finally in our possessions possession it so easily loses its luster and that's symptomatic of greed and we have to be so careful about that Mm -hmm.
0: just as you say that i remember talking to uh some people who are on the we could say over the hill stage of life where instead of acquiring possessions they're now downgrading and just talking to them about how difficult that is because for so much of your life you're trying to acquire more and more and more payoff things and then you start to reach a point in your life we can downsize the
1: house but it, some people really struggle with that maybe because of that yeah you know what if you hold on to things for too long you might think they're valuable but nobody wants them anymore either that's true like nobody wants a toaster from 1962 uh nobody wants some power tool you bought in 1983 that still has one of those you know let's say it's a drill remember the chuck keys the manual chuck key yeah, yeah like nobody so, wants that yeah. they not they don't even want corded tools they want lithium operated battery yeah. tools of name brand um some things come back into style but it's a good point it, i i um i uh i like to kind of extricate myself if you will from from the entanglement of earthly possessions by often is just, just giving things away. Yep. Um, and, you know, it, it, again, depending on what you do. So you and I are hands on guys. And so I have a lot of tools, for example, and I, I use those tools. Um, so I'm not going to give away stuff that I know I'm going to need next week. What would be the point of that? But, <clears throat> There's no point in having three, four of every item either. There's no point in just stockpiling stuff because, well, I like stockpiling stuff. The the extreme example, of course, would be these hoarder shows you sometimes see. Most of them are just absolutely disgusting. I mean, people are so fixated on their stuff. They're literally keeping their garbage. Mm -hmm. But there's others that just accumulate clothing, for example. Just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles of clothing. Now, you know, every once in a while, my wife and I, recently she went through our closets and threw a bunch of stuff out. And she says, Aaron, you got too much stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I should probably clean some of it out. You think about ancient people that would, it wasn't uncommon for people to have one, maybe two sets of clothing. That's it. People are like, oh, that's gross. We get a shower, you know, twice a day and have a clean, set of clothes. Well, we're used to that and that that's a good thing but somehow human civilization got to this point without living as large as we do. My dad made a comment. He is a very nice place in northern Ontario but he made a comment meant to me many years ago and we were starting to, you know, I think we might have been buying our first or second house I don't remember. He just made a comment that I thought was insightful. Just, you know, when I think about your generation and the houses, you know, you guys buy and then I think about the starter houses your mom and I bought and then I think about the houses my my parents bought or my grandparents bought they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and it's true i mean you you go buy some houses in windsor and there's like two adults and two kids or maybe the, the kids have moved out and there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of square feet of real estate there Yeah, I I think housing can be a good investment. It's a good place to park money uh, because I do believe in passing on an inheritance to your children, that's a proverb. But um, again, we just have to do some soul searching. Again, material things aren't bad. It's not like if you have a big house, you're a bad person and you have a small house, you're super spiritual. You may have a big house because you're good with your money and you have a small house because you're terrible with your money, I don't know. So we we don't wanna just Mm -hmm. judge people based on externals. Nor do we want to judge people based on their, their possessions and wealth. I, I've heard, oh, that, that person has a lot of money. Well, maybe they inherited it. Like, is it, it's not your business. Or maybe they're still owing payments on it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, a lot of people have debt, like what they quote unquote own, quote unquote, yep. is actually owned by the bank or some credit company. Or it's not their business to advertise if someone, maybe they got a million dollar inheritance. Like, it's yep. not your business. That's right. But individually so instead of looking judging others individually maybe just ask some of these questions internally Mm -hmm. and then if if there's some conviction there maybe there's some room for for improvement
0: yeah now i've been thinking so god's laws we know are always beneficial for us so let's say we, we ignore the sin of greed and it continues to build in our lives. What do you think then are some of the, the consequences that God has built in
1: for that? So this is interesting. What generally happens, I've alluded to it already, is with more stuff, if there's greed attached to it, there's less satisfaction and less enjoyment for what you actually have. So it's like the ultimate false advertiser. Oh, you're going to feel better if you get this. You get it and you feel worse than when you didn't have it. Mm-hmm. It's also true that when you want something bad and you have to wait or you can't afford it, the desire often subsides and then you no longer desire and you're like, well, I'm, I'm kind of glad I didn't buy that anyway. I, I didn't really want that house or that car or that article of clothing or I didn't really want to, even even in terms of opportunities, I didn't really want that job. <laughs> but I think it it erodes our sense of satisfaction and enjoyment in what you actually have. Suppose you were dropped in the middle of a a forest and you had to survive for a week, two weeks, a month off the land, and all you had was a clothing on your back, maybe a a jackknife, a couple cans of beans, um, a flint to start a fire, maybe a raincoat. It wouldn't take you too long. to realize how important that jackknife is, that raincoat is, that that one singular change of clothes you have, these would become your be all and end all. You realize, man, these are very, very important and special. But if you're standing in big what is it, Big Bass? Big Bass Pro? Bass Pro. Bass Pro, yeah. Bass Pro, and you're surrounded by a hundred different kinds of jackknives and a hundred different kinds of rain suits and these sorts of things you're like, oh, I want this one, I want that one, I want this one. But do you, would you actually value it to the same degree as if you absolutely needed it and your life depended on it? Mm-hmm. So sometimes by having too much, we fail to enjoy what we actually have. It also robs us of the opportunity to rejoice when other people have what we don't, right? And this is also symptomatic of our own selfishness. Do we rejoice when a friend is able to purchase their own home or buy a boat or buy a new car or get married or have another child or whatever it might be? Do we actually rejoice in that? Or is it always like, well, man, I wish I was married. I wish I had that house. I wish I had those kids. Uh, I wish I had that car. I wish I was accepted into that university. Are we able to actually rejoice with others who have been blessed by God? Of course, externally, if we fixate on greed, it can lead to crimes. It can lead to people that are desperate for material possessions can steal. So we can be guilty of the sin of theft or even defrauding others, cheating others, Ponzi schemes or whatever it might be. Taken to the extreme, it can result in others going without. So if we're successful at accumulating massive amounts of material possessions, it often will then rob others of the opportunity to do that. So let's say you were a multimillionaire, billionaire, and every time land or houses came up in a city or province, you bought it all and you were benefiting from that. Well, there's going to be a problem long term because now you're accumulating it all and other people now cannot buy land or cannot afford houses. So they're all now your tenants. Mm-hmm. This is almost back to the old feudal system in Europe. Yeah. So taken to the extreme, in small doses, it's probably not going to matter. But if someone is successful at accumulating material possessions, inevitably that means other people are going to go without, especially if something of limited supply. Right. Um, it's also a dead end. It's a false advertiser. We often think of uh material things as a pathway to a goal happiness retirement freedom uh, freedom 55 whatever it might be and it's a dead-end goal how many people do we know that retire and realize that life is kind of bland now that it wasn't as exciting as they thought it would be that they you know they live their their whole work lives and I, i i by the way would just as a sidebar really challenge christians to speak a whole lot less about retirement there's nothing wrong with planning for it. There's nothing innately wrong with retiring, although it's an extra biblical construct. But this whole idea of I work to retire, or even I live, I work for the weekends, yep. it's very poisonous. Uh you no, know, you work Mondays joyfully as unto the Lord. And if at some point in time you no longer have to work for a paycheck and you can volunteer, fine, do that. But don't this whole idea of just going out to pasture I'm Fifty-five. I'm sixty. I'm just gonna work a menial job now. I have my government pension. I'm just gonna fritter away my time shopping and sleeping in and you know reading books or something. It's it's a waste of life, and it, it needs to be uh, probably confronted more regularly. Um, it's also an expensive way to live when you never have enough. You know, let, let's talk about the relational dimension here too. When you when you think of A person you want to be with you don't think of selfish people nobody wants to be around a selfish person think of ebenezer scrooge sort of the the archetype greedy miser you know in 1843 when dickens um you know wrote his novel a christmas carol he portrays ebenezer scrooge as this miserly cold-hearted horrible boss who's confronted by the the three ghosts or spirits and, and eventually changes but there's nothing about him in his selfish state that would attract you to him and he's sort of the archetype now he's obviously fictional, fictitious and he's he's um he's portrayed in a pretty extreme way but i don't want to be around selfish people i, I like being around generous people not because well, I benefit from their generosity, but they're just, they're more kind hearted. They're, they're more likely to take an interest in you. Nobody wants to be around someone that's constantly talking about themselves, hoarding their possessions. They're a shopaholic. They're constantly bragging about their material possessions. Like how long do you have to be alive to realize that's not cool? That's not culturally apropos. That's, not what people are looking for in a friend Mm -hmm. and yet so many people are like that um so it's it's false advertisement relationally greed there's no upsides to it and then of course it obscures what truly matters it it a lot it robs us from the opportunity to fixate on god to enjoy moments of peace because we're always managing more and more and more and more I would just say there's a sidebar to this in ministry. Sometimes pastors covet other people's congregations. And I have a, I guess by Canadian standards, a reasonably large congregation. I'm just going to tell everyone out there if you if you're in a smaller church, brother, it is anticlimactic. Mm-hmm. It's anticlimactic. Whether you're pastoring 20 people or tens of thousands of people it's not going to make you feel better. It's not going to satisfy your deepest desires. Bloom where you're planted. If the Lord Shepherds gives you 100 people to shepherd, shepherd them as best as you can. If as a result, he gives you 200, have at it. If he gives you 1,000, thousand, ten thousand, whatever it is, there's always someone that's going to have a bigger congregation than you. (laughs) It's anticlimactic. And if you spend your time as a christian minister just desperate for that next pew to be filled well you're going to find yourself very dissatisfied i i know of men that it rattles their cage so much when someone leaves their church it just irks them especially if they go to another church in town it just bothers them now i do get bothered when i i i think when people make foolish decisions, when they, they go to dysfunctional churches or they leave for the wrong reasons. But I gotta tell you, I've just never been a numbers guy. Like, I, I have tried in my pastoral ministry as much as possible to focus on quality of disciples over quantity. As you focus on quality, the funny thing is God often gives you quantity. But, you know, if you're in a town of 100 people, your congregation's gonna be a different size than if you're in San Francisco, I suppose. Um, so there's variables. There's variables to your giftedness, your circumstances, the nature of your congregation, the culture within which you're raised. I mean, if a guy was pastoring a church of 200 people in Saudi Arabia, he'd be a megastar, superstar, universally known pastor yeah. because the environment there is so hostile to Christianity. So even in ministry, people can covet uh, things that we think, wow, I just want to expand my ministry. I just want to do more for Jesus. I just want to write more books. I want to have more people listen to my podcast. It's gross. Stop it. Hmm. Use your gifts and abilities to the best of your ability unto the Lord and just let God do what He's going to do with you. And if you die in obscurity, but deeply loved by the Lord and having used your gifts for His honor and glory, that's a successful life, brother or sister. Mm-hmm um so your success is not uh determined by your congregational size how many kids you have um you know what you own how many records you've set on the court or the ice rink uh, your the number of degrees or grades you got in school we're not opposed to considering these things but they're not ultimately what matters and Mm -hmm. If you pursue them, it's all anticlimactic, meaning that when you get them, they never actually satisfy in the way that you thought they would. Yeah. So, be, be ruthless and relentless in asking yourself, why do I do what I do? Why do I say what I say? Why do I spend as I spend? And this will help to reveal to you your motives and make sure that you're living with a cupped hand. You've heard me say it many times, uh, ownership is the enemy of stewardship. Mm-hmm. As soon as you think you own it, you're done. Yep, You're done. But when you steward your, fa- whatever your possessions are, your church, your family, your money, whatever it might be, your children, your fame, uh, when you steward it for God's glory and you're always pointing people back, soli uh, deo gloria, to yep. God alone be the glory that's a That's a successful life right there, mm-hmm. so to God alone be the glory. The mission of God is the glory of God, not you. yep the mission of God is the glory of God, and he receives glory as you serve him mm-hmm. as you mentioned some of those things the the
0: thing that stuck out to me is um, early on, you said something about can you enjoy when somebody else has material gain and similarly, even thinking as a pastor, can you be rejoicing when somebody else's congregation is outgrowing yours or there's more baptisms at that church. If the kingdom is growing. Oh man, that's a little convicting Chris. Let's not go too far with this. Okay.
1: Okay. So so the next question. (laughs) It's a a great thing for us to think about many people who listen to this podcast are mature Christians. They're pastors or leaders. They're diehard Christians. They love the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They want to grow. They're serving in their churches. Yeah, we may pick up some people here and there that are um, journalists, (laughs) (laughs) just wanting to know what we're talking about. I don't know. I know we've had some, but most people listening to this show are wanting to grow as leaders and Christians. And I think our job is to not just expose the flaws and the faulty thinking in the world around us, which... You know, you can always get a, a big round of applause. You know, mm-hmm. let's let's talk about Justin Trudeau's yeah. horrible policies. Let's talk about Joe Biden's horrible policies. Let's talk about the latest stunt from CBC. Let's let's denounce some heretic preaching anti-Trinitarian theology, you know, three provinces away or whatever it might be. And we need to do that. We need to call out evil. <clears throat> but how comfortable are we exposing our own? sinful propensities. And I have sinned in my own life, Chris. I've been a Christian since 1979. Hmm. And sometimes I still surprise myself how immature I am. It's like, come on, Aaron, like, why do you think that, like, you know, you've actually preached against that. Why are you saying that? Why did you do that? Why do you have that desire? So we have to point at our own sins. And, and because I, I want to be in a biblical sense, successful in life, when I pose questions to people that might bring some conviction or offense, it's because I've posed them to myself. Mm-hmm. And so the goal of this show is not just to offend people, but we do need to be offended at times. And, and in ministry, there's, there's a lot of posers. There's a lot of people putting on a show or looking for attention. And it's gross. Mm-hmm. It's gross. Let's analyze and assess in keeping with the wise counsel of those that know us and love us what are our best contributions to the kingdom of god where are we gifted where are we not gifted and let's bloom where god plants us and let's stop looking over the neighbor's fence and wishing oh i wish i had that guy's congregation i wish i had that guy's speaking gifts i was you know wish i had that guy's wife or I wish I had that guy's car or whatever it might be. It's so dangerous and deadly, but it happens all the time. And Mm -hmm. so this is is why this sin is especially deadly because it probably realistically crops up, at least in some microscopic way in our lives every single day, Mm -hmm. covetousness, greed. And it robs us of the opportunity to enjoy the peace that God has for us beauty of life, family, those quiet moments, et cetera. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so continuing on this thought, because we want to expose the sin in our lives. Let's suppose someone's listening, they want to assess themselves for other signs of greed. What would you say are some mental processes they could go through, maybe questions they could ask to help uncover this sin just so that we're not blind to it?
1: You know, I think one of the, one of the things we do in our lives, we confess our sins when we sin, But how often do we ask God to reveal sin to us that we're not currently aware of? It's a scary question. Lord, would it be possible for you to actually reveal my blind spots? Please don't do it all at once. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Or I'll shrivel up. (laughs) But we confess our sins, but how about asking the Lord, Lord, reveal in me any of my blind spots and... Ask the Lord, Lord, is there greed in my life? Is there covetousness in my life that I'm not aware of? It may require, by the way, it may require a whole new way of thinking. Uh, Sometimes we talk in our show about Mm worldviews and we live in a materialistic world. So one of the aspects of the Western worldview is materialism. We idolize the physical world. This is why science is like divine revelation to us. It's like our Bible even though it's constantly shifting and the Bible doesn't change, but still it's like our Bible because it's, it it reveals to us in our way of thinking the material world. And why are we so interested in knowing the material world? Because we're materialists. Mm-hmm. So it may require thinking like a Christian. You might think, well, what's the difference between a materialist and a Christian? A materialistic worldview and a Christian worldview? Very simply, understanding what it means to be a steward and not an owner. Period. I mean, if I could just... There's obviously some complexities to it, but if you can get in your mind a robust view of stewardship, God put us here to, to exercise dominion over his creation, which he still owns. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns every square inch of this creation, including you. Mm-hmm. So you you don't own zilch. You are a steward. That is... In and of itself combats the materialistic worldview that many of us have been inundated with since the time we were you know knee-high to a grasshopper Mm -hmm. secondly one of the ways to get rid of greed in your life or to make sure it doesn't arise is to be generous generosity it's not giving away your relics it's not oh let's send uh dry out our tea bags you know the old Uh, uh, the old uh, analogy of the the missionaries, you know, we want to keep them poor and humble. So we'll dry out our tea bags and send them dried tea bags. Or we told the story of a church here in the area that was getting used coffee grinds from Starbucks and drying them out and reusing them because they wanted to save money. If that's you start giving, you know, You know what, when we talk in our churches about tithing, people get so offended by that. And it's not because, well, I don't like the idea of giving 10% because I wanna give 20. Right. (laughs) It's, I don't wanna give 10 because I just wanna give what I want, when I want, when I feel like it, when I don't feel like it. I don't want laws, I don't want rules, I don't want regulations. It's like, you know what, I, I can see through that. It's not really about you rejecting law. It's not really about you defending the church from legalism, is it? Is that that really what you're about? It's you, you want to be free and clear from any obligation to give, and it should be a joyful obligation. You know, the Bible says give cheerfully, not give what makes you cheerful. It's Mm -hmm. like give, how? Cheerfully, not give. What makes me cheerful, and I get really cheerful when I only have to give a buck, and I don't get really cheerful when I have to give a thousand bucks. So we can talk about this in another show, but I actually do believe in tithing, and I do believe in offerings, and I do believe in almsgiving, and I I believe those things are pre-old covenant, old covenant, and in principle validated in the new covenant, and they are good patterns. God's laws are good. The wisdom of God is good through all of time. So I don't understand for the life of me why anyone would balk at tithing 10% of their income to Christian ministry. That doesn't even compute with me. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why that's a problem. But as an aside, even if <clears throat> for some reason, you can't get there are you a generous person generosity is a way of reminding ourselves of the temporary nature of wealth mm-hmm. you know i love the verse in job 121 i'll read it. it says naked i came from my mother's womb and naked i and naked shall i return the lord gave the lord has taken away blessed be the name of the lord how many of us really think about that you never see babies entering the world with suitcases yes. and we put people in caskets and we may put a suit on them or a dress and maybe their wedding ring still on their finger, but they're gone and they don't they don't take any of any of their material. This is why we have wills and we have heirs. We pass it on if we have it. And when we exercise generosity, when you if you're what I always advise couples is you know write out your budget, don't freewheel it. And at the very top of your budget, the first series of categories should be your your givings, not your mortgage. Like, I gotta pay my mortgage before I pay the church. No, no, at the top, you have your tithes, you have money set aside for alms and offerings. And that is right up at the top. You don't fudge those numbers. You give your first fruits to God. And then in order of priorities, not your cell phone at the top, but an order of priorities, you have your housing expenses, your groceries, and your transportation expenses, and your entertainment expenses in declining order, right? So generosity is, is really important. It's kind of like fasting. So if a person's a glutton or they're sexually addicted, they can't control their physical body. What fasting does is it, it disciplines you to control your flesh, quote unquote flesh, your physical body. And, of course, we're integrated beings, so it has a, a psychological effect, a spiritual effect, and whatnot. But f- fasting is what we call a discipline of subtraction. So if I'm praying, that's a discipline of addition. If I'm reading my Bible, that's a discipline of addition. But fasting is a discipline of subtraction, and that I'm not giving myself something I want, or I'm, I'm not doing something. Mm-hmm. And giving is, in certain a certain way, to the beneficiary, a discipline of addition, but for us, it's a discipline of subtraction. We're giving away our money. And what happens is when you subtract money, you get a better sense of what's really left of the true you. Hmm. Let me say that again. When you give your money away, you get a better sense of what's really left of the true you. So give someone a thousand dollars and then monitor in your soul and your heart what's going on right now give someone ten thousand dollars and then monitor okay what, what's actually going on right now do i feel joy that i've been able to bless them or just like man i missed that money i could have spent it on a b c d oh what if i don't have enough money what if what if i'm not provided for so th- it's 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 a it's a huge blessing to be able to give, and then also saving is important. So I, I do believe in saving. So greed doesn't mean you shouldn't save. We providing an inheritance often not mentioned is a biblical uh, symptom or biblical characteristic of, of a godly person. I get irritated when I and I know it's in jest, but people have bumper stickers out spending my kids retirement really uh, inheritance. inheritance yeah. Like retirees I'm out spending my my kids inheritance well um, not everybody has a great deal of money when they retire but the Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children but a sinner's wealth was laid up for the righteous Proverbs 13 22. imagine how much better society would be if every generation took that seriously and passed on a substantial portion of their wealth to the next generation who then stewarded it well who passed it on to the next mm-hmm. people would be immeasurably wealthy after just a few generations but the problem is everyone a lot of people have to start from scratch because their forebears blew it mm-hmm. so saving not just for yourself not just for your retirement i i want if possible by god's grace to leave my children with a lot of money i want to be able to do that and i think that's that's actually a life goal i have now if they're listening to this episode <laughs> you know Make sure you behave yourself because you might get disinherited. But I want to be able to do that. I think at the end of the day, that's a sign of a well-lived life, not just to pass on spiritual lessons. But and I and I I think I'm of course I would want my kids to then steward that well, yep. and add to it for the next generation, and, and at the same time be very giving to ministry and church and all that sort of stuff. But that's that's a blessing. So the whole idea of saving for retirement is is a modern idea, but saving for future generations is actually a biblical idea. Hmm. And if you get to a point where you physically can't work anymore, fine. I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. But I, I don't save for retirement. I save for my children's inheritance. Mm-hmm. And at some point, if for whatever reason, I have to, quote-unquote, retire because I can't do this anymore or the Lord calls me to another thing, fine. But I, I don't maybe there's some financial planners that aren't going to like me saying this, but so do I have like retirement savings? Yes, but I don't actually quote unquote in my mind save for retirement. Mm -hmm. I save because it's a biblical principle and I save for the benefit of my descendants Mm -hmm. and at the same time I want to give. So we need to define um, greed versus need. And um, uh, if you can differentiate between what you need And what you want and then when you think about what you want why you want it then you will know whether you're pursuing it for the glory of god or the advancement of self and then you'll know do i struggle with the deadly sin of greed and to what degree and and how do i overcome that confess it uh give um save seek to bless others christians should be giving away substantial uh portions of their income for others mm-hmm. if you have a family member in need provide for them if you can support a child in a third world country and uh, their education do that if you can give generously to your church's building fund or another christian ministry do that if you can tie the weekly to um, bless the ministry of your local church do that and I'm just telling you straight up, if you haven't arrived at that yet, you're completely robbing yourself of massive blessings. It is a huge blessing. You should shake with excitement hmm. when you get to write a check to someone or send someone e transfer or put money in the offering plate. It should never be begrudging. It should be like, I, I get giddy about the the idea of giving my money away to others because I know it's actually not mine. Hmm. It's been stewarded to me by God. And God smiles when I give, and I get to put a smile on someone else's face and bless them when, when they receive as well, yeah. as others have often done for me.
0: Yeah. It, it, saying the idea of repenting, turning around, it just brings to mind Zacchaeus, the guy that uh, Jesus met with. And as you can see the picture of his repentance, because he gave, I think it was half of his wealth to the poor, and then he repaid four times anybody he had defrauded.
1: So basically, he went financially broke mm. in his repentance. Yeah, that's a beautiful picture, and, and again, because like the rich young ruler, that was his idol. Yeah, right. That was his idol, and it, maybe we could say that for some people, the way out of greed is to give it all away. And once you're once you're at a point where you realize you're now responsible, you know, ask God for some back to steward again, but don't allow it to be sort of the ball and chain that holds you back from moving forward in your your walk with Christ and in being a blessing. Uh, to those around you. And I'll tell you this, Chris, just my final words would be, if you can deal head on with this sin of greed in your life, you're gonna sleep much better tonight and in, in, in coming nights, because there is a true peace and a true blessing that comes when we conform our lives to the word of God. God is a benevolent God, and the reason why he confronts us in these areas is because he loves us. There is no upside to greed. And there, there is a lot of blessing that comes with being generous and being a good steward, a, a, a good uh, steward of the possessions that God has temporarily entrusted to each one of us. Mm-hmm. Good word. Well, thank you, Aaron. I appreciate that. Thank you to our listeners
0: for tuning in today. If this is the first time you're tuning in and you're just finding places to subscribe, you might want to check over at the pursuitofglory.org website. That's Pastor Aaron's website. ministry blog and resource site. You can find this podcast there as well as other blog articles. You can also go over to the Fight, Laugh, Feast network and find this podcast as well as other podcasts from Canadian and American um, speakers on there. And we hope you'll tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.